Hey, leaders. Welcome to the Secrets of Leadership podcast. I'm Adam Cubbage, and I equip people to lead at the next level. I'm a combat veteran, family man, and an anointed knight in Westeros. I'm Tracy Winter, and I coach professionals. I'm a former professional dancer, PhD in human development, and believe podcasts are better with kittens. We're here to demystify the art and science of leadership. We use the scholar practitioner approach to take you behind the leadership curtain. We'll give you the why, the how, and the what of relevant leadership principles. Share personal stories so that you can become an inspiring, memorable, and effective leader. You know, the kind of leader you always wished you had. When we come across someone interesting, we'll bring them to meet you so you can share in their expertise. And we'll probably laugh a bit along the way, too. All right. Let's get started. So... Today, we're going to talk about fighting imposter syndrome, right? And I think, Tracy, you and I had started uh, talking about owning your success by taking a clear look at the evidence. Yes, that's what we're going to we're going to try to convince our, our listeners today that that's one of the ways to, to move through imposter syndrome. So and I guess the question for you and for everybody is, you know, when was the last time that you tried to perfect your work to make it oh so good enough, right? Or did you feel anxious when you walked away from like a, a meeting or, you know, had these thoughts swirling in your head? I mean, that's, that's usually indicators that you might be experiencing imposter syndrome or if like the, your fear, fear of failure was driving your work. Um, or fear of failure prevented you from chasing new opportunities. So sort of the last time you doubted your work and what were the thoughts behind that doubt? Um, If it's anything along these lines, it was probably something along the lines of imposter syndrome. Okay. So then for me, that would be this morning when I woke up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So let's, I think you and I like to, start from a common lexicon, right? So let's, let's define this when, when we talk about this thing called imposter syndrome, because the way I see it, there's a lot of people who throw this term around, um, kind of loosey goosey in it, you know, it's come to mean all things to all people. So how let you're, you're the, uh, the 10 pound brain and all this, how would you define <laughs> imposter syndrome? So the basic definition is that you're feeling like a fraud, like you don't deserve to be in the room, um, that you're going to get found out to be insufficient. You're just not good enough. Um, Any success you have is explained away by some external evidence. It doesn't have to do with your own ability. Um, Maybe it's luck, maybe it's circumstance, um, but it certainly isn't because you worked hard and performed well. Um, And oftentimes this will turn into a bit of a spiral of, you know, I, I performed well, except I don't believe I performed well. I think I performed just, just well enough. And really it's not even that good, but everybody thinks it's good. So now the next time I have to work even harder so that I don't let them down. And so every time you're sort of building this feeling of fraud higher and higher and higher, so the stakes just get, keep getting higher and the anxiety behind it keeps getting higher. Mm. So we want to try to dismantle that cycle a little bit and help you find some ways to um, convince yourself that maybe you actually did a good job. Maybe it was you. Okay. I, I like that because the way I've seen it show up for some people and that the things that I, I would say I don't like about how people have abdicated or use this word imposter syndrome is they use it to justify 
you know, their approach of not being good at something. Right. So they, it's basically a crutch for them where they have like this kind of shitty performance and they lacked any preparation. Uh, and they said, Oh, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. And it's like, Oh, I'm an imposter. Like I have imposter syndrome. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not imposter syndrome. You just fail to show up. Right. Um, so, you know, or maybe, and I think, you know, the other way I've seen it is people don't have the, you know, the skills, the, they need to upskill or reskill to get to that next level, you know? And again, they're saying, Oh, I've got imposter syndrome. I'm, you know, like the Supreme commander of the universe. And I have all this, but I need to fake it. And I'm like, mm, that's not imposter syndrome. That's not like having, you know, having done great work and not believing in yourself when others tell you you have great work, it's just that you haven't done great work. So it's interesting because that hasn't been really my experience with imposter syndrome is people who say they've got it. And really it's just, you know, covering up something that they don't know how to do yet. Um, but I work with a lot of neurodivergent folks. We know that. Um, and they have doubts because they operate outside the norm um, and have gotten reflections from other people that they're doing it wrong over and over and over. And in fact, they may be doing it just fine, but they, so those reflections have they've internalized into doubting themselves. Um, I do think the level of imposter syndrome can vary versus we, ha- you know, it is imposter syndrome or it isn't. I think there's a spectrum of, of how impostery one feels at a certain point. So it can be a nuisance for some people to say, oh, I think I'm feeling imposter syndrome. Okay, but I'm gonna do the thing. But for other people, it can be totally debilitating and really send them into a, an anxious spiral that makes their brain shut down and not work as well. So it's not as always as easy as like, just get over it and do it. Um, There's a lot that can be behind it. So to me, it's, it's textbook. It's definitional that the the cycle of imposter syndrome, we don't talk about that cycle. And that's a big part of my experience is um, not so much the um, using it as an excuse, but the, the tremendous cycle of it that just builds and builds and builds throughout someone's life. Hmm. Okay. So when have yeah. you when have you experienced like? Well, hold on. Let me. I want, to pull, I want to pull oh, in sorry, some of ahead. those threads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you you threw out the term neurodivergent, and I'm familiar with it only because having um, you know spent time with you. Mm-hmm. But for uh, the we'll say the more barbarian uh, listeners that um, more closely align with my caveman thinking, w- what is a neurodivergent? <laughs> I think you can not know neurodivergent and also not be a caveman. So there's a lot of people, it's a, it's a relatively new term for a lot of people. Um, So we talk about neurodiversity as being sort of like the spectrum of ways that brains work and neurodivergent is, you know, most people's brains work enough alike that, that they can communicate and they can kind of grok each other. And then there are some people who have a brain that works enough differently from someone who's, we call it neurotypical that that's divergent. And so people who have some things like ADHD, who are autistic, who might have dyscalculia, dyslexia, um, dyspraxia, any kind of way that your brain is is functioning in a way that the rest of society doesn't really get it. Um, Giftedness for me falls under this area as well. Just that way that um, you are outside of the norm in terms of the way your brain functions. Okay. That really helps. Because then you, I think you also said about it's, you know, for people who suffer from like true legit imposter syndrome, it can be debilitating for them. And so I I think that's, and 
for me, one of the, the, the most prescient things that you pointed out is it's a cycle, right? It's not a one and done. It's not something you get over. It's no. there's this kind of loop. And so I, I think that's important because, you know, you asked, you know, my version of this and, you know, I I'm in my head tracing it back to the time in, you know, the late nineties when I was in the army, uh, you know, how that would show up for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you get to an assignment and you, you're trained and prepped for going in there and leading people and, and doing the job that you're supposed to do. And you do it rather well, but I've always felt like, okay, maybe they're just, you know, appeasing me, or maybe they're just saying I did a good job, you know, just to make me feel good, which, you know, in hindsight, it, it wasn't that. But as you're going through it, especially in my, you know, twenties and even in my thirties, I would always doubt myself and think, well, you know, I, it, I was just lucky last time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it was a fluke that I, I did all these things well. And I don't know if I'll be able to repeat that same thing at this next unit or this next mm-hmm. job or this next place. Right. And so, you know, part of that problem for me when you said it, it kind of, it, you know, it's debilitating, I would feel that stress, right? And there's the you stress, the good stress, you know, and then there's the distress. And I know that distress always affected my perception, self-perception of how I was able to perform. And so I guess my question to you would be, does it affect high achievers does it not affect them? Like, what is that? How have you seen it show up? Yeah, well, so it was first found in high achieving women in the late 70s. That was the first time that this phenomenon was sort of recognized. Hmm. Um, it, you also you also hear about women not accepting compliments as well as men and not taking credit for their work, right? Like you said, it was a fluke or I happened to get lucky or whatever. That's something that we talk about women um, not owning their success necessarily. Um, and so that's where it was originally talked about was in high achieving women. Um, lately, it's, it, you know, there's some evidence that it's sort of equal among the genders. Um, I think it is probably more in, I've experienced it more in high achievers, but that may be because the population that I work with. Hmm. Um, I would think it could be in just about anybody, but given that it is based on you achieved this thing well, and now you have to replicate it it seems like it would be more among high achievers than, than less so, but I don't have the research to back that up. That's just my speculation. Okay. Yeah. But certainly the distress that you were talking about um, is so important. Like this is why this talking about this is so important because that distress to your brain is going to, is going to, like you said, kind of decrease your, your efficacy. So you're not going to do as well at work. You're not going to actually live up to what you were supposed to live up to. Um, It can really infringe on that at a certain point. Um, because when your brain gets anxious, like you were talking about, um, it's going to close down. It's not going to accept as much information as when you're confident and when you're relaxed about what you're doing. So it's sort of like going into a version of fight, flight, or freeze. Um, you're not getting the best version of your brain when you're in the throes of imposter syndrome. Um, it also shows up somatically. It's been shown that anxiety and imposter syndrome specifically has a negative impact overall on your mental health. So you know, when that stomach ache shows up because of that project that you're working on and you're starting to chew antacids like they're M&Ms, that's probably not so good for you. So instead actually dealing with the imposter syndrome, which is the issue at the root of it, that can make your stomach ache a little better. 
Interesting. So it's not really, so I don't know if that is or isn't psychosomatic, um, but that's, that's okay. So that's really interesting. And I, I, I think I find it fascinating that it, it shows up more, at least from your sample size, the people you work with in high achievers, because that's, you know, it speaks to, at least to me, the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? So that mm-hmm. cognitive bias where people with low ability overestimate their own, mm. you know, perception, their own ability, and then high ability people underestimate their own ability and think less of themselves. So I think that's really interesting. All right. Yeah, I think so I track with that. Yeah. That's so, and I would think, you know, you know, listeners out there, I think you guys, if you were honest with yourselves and just took a look, there are times when you have experienced this, right? Where you have felt like not good enough, or you had this, you know, imposter syndrome play out somewhere in your professional life. So I think when I looked at it and, you know, my thought process goes, okay, this is what it is. You know, this is why we, we need to focus on it. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, how do I get rid of this? How do I, and my, you know, experience, my background lends itself to, I got to fight this, right? Like I got to attack and, you know, I visualize this big, ugly monster with eyes and teeth and it's hairy and it's terrorizing little school kids. And so I got to fight the imposter syndrome. Am I on the right track? That's the army guy that that I know and love. Yeah, I mean. Right? Right. Because of course, if it's it's something that's in your way, you got to fight it. So, Um, I mean, you said fight or flight and my default setting is fight. Or freeze. Freeze happens too. It does. Um, Yeah. I have a different approach just because fighting to me hasn't, I tried fighting for a while and it didn't solve the problem for me. And so And it takes a lot of energy to fight something. Like I'm already using a bunch of energy to recognize the imposter syndrome, to have the anxiety. So they have to put mental energy into fighting um, this thing. I don't find that as useful for me. Um, I know different people have different ways to approach it, but for me, I kind of notice it and then I can make a different thinking choice. So, you know, it'll be happening. And at the same time, I can be sort of a step removed from it and go, oh, look, there's the thing. You're imposter syndrome again. Like, is it possible that you actually are not a fraud? Is it possible that you actually are able to, um, you know, uh, contribute something of value? Well, maybe it is. Okay, if that were true, what would you do differently? If that were true, like how could things be better? Um, and honestly, I do this at the beginning of our podcast recordings. You know, who are you to say something that anybody else would want to listen to? Who, you know, why should anybody listen to you? Well, maybe I have something to say. And if I did, maybe it could help a person. So here I am talking. Hmm. Um, but that to me feels like a lot less energy um, fighting it. It seems like sort of accepting that this is happening and making a choice around it. Yeah. So I, I, I like that, that there's kind of these multiple different approaches to tackle it, right, to, to overcome it. And it's based on the language, right? And whatever resonates with each of us. Some of us will say, no, I need to fight. I need to, you know, I need to visualize or visualize this as, you know, something external to me. 
that I can overcome. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's also the approach that, you know what, I'm going to step back, kind of get a, a, a higher perspective on this, you know, go to the balcony, so to speak, and change the language around it. So. And, and we're only two people, so you're getting two perspectives. Right. But I would imagine, like, I'd love to hear from our listeners, you know, in, in responses, what works for you? Um, we talk about this being the art and science of leadership. And mm-hmm. that means there's no single right way to do it. It's not only science, right? So we're giving right. you the definition of things and here's what it is. And then also here are some ways that are possible, some different perspectives on how to handle it. Um, so yeah, there's no one right way. Like that works for you, Adam, and this works for me. And who knows what works for, um, you know, Darkwavian out there. I like that. Yeah. Who, um, who was it that said, I don't know art, but I know what I like. I have no idea. I know it was a a New Yorker cartoon from, from way back, but yeah, I think that's, there's more art out there. There's more styles. There's more things. And you're right. Yeah. So listeners, how have, what do you do when you feel this coming on? That's a, that's a great question. So the, what are the steps though? Let's, I want to break it down Barney style, right? Like I love (laughs) you. You love me like this. This is where I, you know, for me, what helps is all right, you know, make it as simple as possible and no simpler. So when I say fight it, what am I saying? I'm saying stop deflecting the praise. People said, Hey, you did, you know, good job. Or, Hey, this was, you really, you know, crushed it. You nailed this project. You did this thing. Stop deflecting. Oh no, we just got lucky. It wasn't me. It was the team. Own it. Right. Step in and own that. And the way you own it, say, thank you. You just acknowledge it and then you move on. Hey, thanks for that compliment. I appreciate it. And that's it. That, that for me is how I, you know, one of the primary ways I fight this, this thing called imposter syndrome. What do you do? Well, receiving the feedback genuinely, like you're saying, like accept it and say, thank you. And for me, that is so challenging just to say thank you and sort of stand in that reflection of competence. Um, and, And every time it's like, I need to just say thank you and not say anything else. I don't need to explain it away. I don't need to say anything else. And and then I've noticed too, when I compliment some, somebody, if they explain it away, I don't feel as good about what I've said to them. So I try to remember that when I'm in the flip position of accepting the compliment, like you have to be ready to receive. You have to be ready to receive those positive reflections and not just focus on the negative ones. So receive the positive reflection, take it in and make it part of you and say, thank you. And, and then move on. You're doing that good for yourself. It holds you back if you do anything you know, otherwise. And it's also making the other piece person feel good about them saying that to you. Um, so you're doing a service for both of you that way. I like that. And, and again, you said something that really, you know, stuck out and rang in my ears is that we so often refuse to accept any praise, but believe the worst. Yes. Right. So we're, we're ready to deflect anything good and receive anything bad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's definitely a loop that we can get in that we have to, I think gets in the way of success and gets in the way of us owning our success. So how, how do you, how do you get out of your own way? Like, what is, well, what does that mean? First of all, what does it mean to get out of your own way? 
So if it's a loop and I keep allowing myself to deflect the positive and receive the negative, I'm, I'm still going to keep doing the same things. You know, the Zig Ziglar called it the stinking thinking, you know, I want to keep listening mm-hmm. to that inner critic uh, and not interrupting that thought pattern. And that's just going to give power to that monster with eyes and teeth. And it's going to grow hairy and get bigger. And, you know, hence more of the, the fighting. Well, what I'm hearing is like, to me, the first step is probably a lack of self-awareness. Like you've got to know when it's happening um, or in reflection, know when it's happening. If you don't know that something's happening, you can't change it. So the first step is recognizing when it's happy um, and or when it's, when it's happening, excuse me. Um, and the way that I, the way that I think about this with my clients is, okay, so f- the first step is recognizing it in the past, like looking at a situation and, and reflecting on it and saying, oh, there it was. That's where the imposter syndrome got in the way. Here's what happened because of it. Here's what I would have liked to have done differently or thought differently. And then the next step is recognizing it in the moment. And still not being able to change your behavior, right? So when you start working on this, you don't get on your get hard on yourself for not being able to switch it like that. It just snapped in case it didn't come through. <laughs> um, but that that you know, oh, this is happening, and I'm still saying the same things. I'm still doing the same things. And then the step after that is taking, getting that extra nanosecond to say, this is happening. I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to say thank you this time, or I'm going to believe in myself, or I'm going to do this project as if I know what I'm talking about. Um, when you actually do know what you're talking about. So that's, that to me is what gets the first step of, of owning your success is noticing when this phenomenon is happening so that you can make different choices eventually. That's a good, yeah, that's a good uh, pattern interrupt. Mm-hmm. So, and what I like to do with, with other habits that I'm trying to change mm-hmm. the pattern interrupt, I have a squeeze ball that I use. And when I recognize that pattern and I'm trying to interrupt it, I'll use my squeeze ball to bring mindfulness to the fact that, okay, I want to change this. Mm-hmm. It's the old, it's the old cognitive behavior therapy trick of having a rubber band around your wrist. And whenever you have mm-hmm. that, that thought that's going in the wrong direction, you snap the rubber band and it, it can help your brain to go in a different direction. But using the word habit, I think is a, is a um, very insightful thing to say here because it really is habits of thinking. It's not that you're stuck having imposter syndrome and that is who you are. It's that you have a habit of thinking in this way and we can change habits. It takes some work, but we can change habits. Um, and that's what we're talking about doing. So if we want to so change how, the habit, yeah, if we want to yeah, change that habit and then, uh, you know, one of the things that I tend to look at, and I think you said, you know, view this from in, in the lens of the past, Mm-hmm. How, how do you look back on your past and say, okay, where's the success? Maybe, maybe I should own something. How do I own some good stuff that I did in the past? And that's a great question because just saying, okay, now I'm going to believe in myself. Like that's a challenge thing to do. But one of the ways that we do this is by looking at the evidence and a version of that can be. So if someone you respect about the thing, tells you that you've done a good job, that's going to mean more than if someone off the street tells you that you've done a good job. For like, for me, one example was um, I specifically chose for my dissertation chair, the most um, technical specific 
um, the, the, the person who was really focused on writing in my, there you go. Um, (laughs) on the other hand, it was for good reason because writing is really important. So I totally respected that when she told me that I had written something well, that was like a gem that I put into my treasure chest because Hmm. I believed her. She wasn't going to say it if it wasn't true. And I believed that she had the expertise to evaluate me properly. Um, when other people who, you know, don't know writing as well say, oh, that was really an interesting thing you wrote. Like, that's really nice. Um, but coming from her, it was like, when I start to disbelieve my writing ability, I think to myself, well, Judy said this and Judy knows what she's talking about. So I'm not going to believe my brain. that's trying to trick me. I'm going to believe her brain. Um, but I think the key, the key to that is it's got to be somebody you, who knows the stuff and has the expertise to evaluate you. Um, to give you that sort of external backup. So what I'm hearing is when, when mom would say, you're such a handsome little boy, she meant it, but it wasn't necessarily, (laughs) uh, you know, a a trusted opinion, but you know, maybe my spouse, she says it and I'm like, okay, I can buy into that. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. It's, it's who are the people that you respect in this area, right? Who has the confidence to back up the confidence? Because I think we we do that with our friends and maybe some other colleagues like, oh, no, you're great. You did this well. And I, you know, that can be, they mean well, right? And mean we mean well when we tell other folks, no, you're, you're doing good. But if there's somebody who's really, you know, stand out in this, your chair, your dissertation chair, or your, your boss, your manager, you know, somebody mm-hmm. who you really respect and admire, and they're telling you you've done good maybe you own that and recognize that you did good. Absolutely. And, and you can also be this for somebody else. Don't forget. So when you are doing that is complimenting them on a specific thing, not just good job, but um, being very specific about your compliment can help back up that confidence and help other people get there. Yeah. I like the now, specificity and the compliments too. That yeah. has been one of the things instead of saying, Oh, good job what I try and find is if, if I meet when I mean it, so you don't get, I'm not like Santa Claus where it's like, ho ho ho, good job. And you get a good job and you get a good job. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, I'll pull somebody aside and said, Hey, look, the way you handled this part of the project, the way you wrote that proposal, the way you did this, the way you engage with that client and turn their thinking around or did this, that was excellent. Right. I'm very specific. So they know, and it's like, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. He saw that. And, you know, and think that about it, that's I, impactful when somebody says that to you, too. When oh, absolutely. About a compliment, that's what I remember is that specific thing. And I do that more because right. that was the positive reinforcement. But we'll say so we're talking about these things like you're just going to be able to change these habits or change your thinking, you know, pretty readily. And I will say your brain's going to resist everything we've been talking about so far. Because your brain likes to keep things the way they are. It doesn't really like change. Well, of course. They, um, yeah. It, the habits are what keep us alive, right? The, the mm-hmm. habits kept the saber tooth from coming into the cave, you know, and well, kept us on alert. So the saber tooth couldn't come in the cave and eat everybody. Right. So, but I do know that from personal experience, you know, using that squeeze ball and, and changing thought habits, that we can change them. It's just, how do we get on that, you know, that neuro highway to change them? 
And first of all, can we just have a moment for, yes, you do have caveman thinking because you immediately go to the saber-toothed tiger as Uh a habit. So that's hilarious. Um, So you're right. We're on on a neural pathway and it's the one that's well-paved. It's the one that we've been practicing. It's the one that, you know, your brain's going to very automatically go down. It's it's an easy path for your brain. Um, And what we're doing is we need to create new neural pathways. So one way to do that is, is to tell a different story about the same facts. You know, you were able to do this thing Maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe it was because you did the did, you know, X, Y, and Z specifically. So, and then you practice that new story. And by practicing practicing it, it's kind of like athletes visualizing their routines ahead of time. And they've shown mm. that that is, you know, having the same impact as actually doing the thing. So practice that new story. So the challenge that I would would make to our listeners is tell a different story other than I was lucky or whatever deflection that you've got going for your um, imposter syndrome and then practice that. I I like that because that's something uh, when I was in the army, you know, and some of the more specialized units, that was one of the things that we did, you know, trying to create the, you know, that idea of visualizing success and what we wanted to look like and, you know, letting our brains soak that in so we could remove the doubt and the fear and the anxiety and focus on where we were trying to go, especially for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So having that, that visualization journey of, okay, you know, here's the new story I'm going to tell myself, let the brain soak that in and okay. Neurons that fire together, wire together. So if I keep visualizing this in this new way, that will develop my new thought pattern. Absolutely. And here's the other thing. You don't even have to believe it yet. You can just keep practicing thinking that way, even knowing your brain's going to believe it. And your brain will start making that new thought habit until you, you know, until you do believe it. I mean, at the very least, it's not going to hurt anything. So give it a try. Okay. Give it more than one try because you had to build a habit. So it's got to go over time. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you can be telling that story and go, I don't quite believe that story yet. And yeah. then tell it again. I and love then tell that. it again. Mindset, Carol Dweck, the, the power of yet, right? The yeah. idea. Yeah. That's and you know, I I there's so much garbage on the internet, on the interwebs, you know. Oh, it <laughs> takes 45 days to create a habit, it takes 90 days to create a habit. They, you know, I, I think that's all mush. I won't go into it more, but it takes as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's around three months, it could be more, could be less but just stick with it. I think you're right. Yeah. What, what, what do you have to lose by, by trying something new? Huh. Right. Absolutely. Nothing. I mean, it's obviously so, not going, it's not going that well for you the way you've been doing it. So try something else. Yeah. So, okay. So you're a leader, you're helping your folks. Um, they're stuck in imposter syndrome. You know, you said earlier about maybe you tell one of your people, Hey, great job, you know, doing this, you, you close the deal and they're deflecting. Um, I know when I see people trying to like, you know, poo poo away the, uh, the compliments that I'm giving or, you know, like chalk it up to luck. What do I do as a leader? And my first thought is always, I, I always want to check in with my people, right? I'm always, it's, I know the, the doctrinal, the, the technical term, you know, management by walking around and managing by objectives. I'm more about just getting in there and, and asking, right? 
help them cement this positive version of themselves rather than, you know, discount it and, you know, just put it aside and say, why do you, you know, why do you think I'm saying good job or why are you, you know, so readily just dismissing this as luck? You know, you put in a lot of effort. You stay, you put in long nights, early mornings, you know, you rally the team and you, you carry the ball across the goal line. Why don't you think you deserve this? Right. So that for me is the check-in and ask people. Well, and for me, the check-in with your people also goes even before that, because when you've got high achievers, you usually just let them keep doing what they're doing because they're doing a good job. Right. So they must be fine. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's those people that you might want to check in with and say, Hey, so you've been doing a great job. How are you feeling about the job you're doing? Right. And if they say, mm, you know, I feel good really good about it. Yeah. How, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel really good about the work I'm doing. I feel proud of my work. All right. You're in good shape. If they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm working really hard to make it happen. I know that I've gotten some lucky breaks here and there. I, you know, I've been helped so much by these other people. You hear them, you know, sort of giving that away. That's a time to, to inter, you know, sort of intervene and say, give them some positive reinforcement, give them what they need to put this imposter syndrome away and, and, um, you know, be someone they'll believe you have to know your stuff, be confident in your stuff, be specific and firm in your positive reinforcement. And then you can help your people do that. Um, but definitely checking in with them can be even before it looks like a problem because imposter syndrome is, it's kind of a form of shame and shame is hidden. So Ooh. ask. Ooh, that's good. That's a little Brene Brown right there. Kind of a little Brene Brown for you. Okay. There you go. So, all right. So let's, let's, let's give uh, you the listener. What are, what are three steps? Let's give them three clear steps that they can do to help. I would say combat. You would say alter your thinking, you know, overcome imposter syndrome. So What's my first f- thing would be. Make a list of accomplishments, make a list of the people you respect and what they've appreciated about you and your work. I have one of these in my phone, just in my iPhone notes application, what people have said that I respect. Yeah. And I, what I do is I journal the supportive comments from people whom I respect. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, actually around, you know, the end of the, the calendar year, I'll go back and, you know, review some of those journals and see how far I've come. You know, and then what, when I do experience a win, what I consider a win, I'll chalk, you know, I'll write down and, you know, okay, when did I have it? Why did I have it? You know, and that's for me, number two is tell a different story and practice that story, right? If there's something that I'm like, nah, you know, I did it good last time, but not this time. Number two, tell a different story, practice it. So the way to start doing this is like at the end of a day or at the end of a week, Reflect on what story you could tell about the day that's more supportive than the original one. So you've got a narrative about how this day went. Is there is there a better story you could tell that still supports what actually happened? And make this part of whatever your reflective practice is. For a lot of people, it's journaling, but not everybody is verbal. So try mind mapping, try drawing, try making a collage, whatever works for you for your reflective practice, but tell a different story about this day and, and, and try it on, see how that feels. I like that. So number one, make the list. Mm -hmm. Number two, tell a different story. And number three, just say thank you. Just say thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up. 
I think it does. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are after uh, listening to a whole bunch of our thoughts. So please um, feel free to drop us a note. Let us know how, what you think about these things. And if you have any other action steps that you like to take to, to either fight or move through your imposter syndrome, depending on your perspective. All right, leaders, that's all the time we have for today. We want to thank you for joining us. We hope that you had as much fun listening as we had making this for you. So if you learned something new, please hit subscribe. And if you're really feeling supercharged, go ahead and rate and review us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.